See, the problem is that we have coveting and we violate the commandments all the time and we covet someone else's spouse, we covet someone else's spouse's body, we covet someone else's spouse's sex life. God doesn't want us to have coveting, that's a counterfeit, he wants to have contentment, that's what God created. And what that means is that God didn't give you a standard of beauty, he gave you a spouse, okay? He gave you a spouse. There was Adam, there was Eve, there was nobody else. Adam was told, you're gonna name all the animals and then you're gonna meet your wife. Every animal, he's probably thinking, well, that's not her. Right? Here comes the aardvark, oh please, Lord, no. No, no. Right, here comes the donkey, you're like, okay. oh, no, please no. Here comes the woman, amazing. That's the hottest woman I've ever seen. Well, howdy, welcome to the Real Marriage Podcast. My name is Mark Driscoll and my lovely co-host is... Grace. Welcome to uh, this season of episodes. The, uh, the conference that we spoke at, the marriage retreat that we taught at was called Win Your Marriage War. There are three main sessions, a few Q&As where we give some deep, profound insights and I also say crazy things and Grace has a nice big laugh. So it's gonna be great when we get there. This is the last teaching episode and the subject for this one is one flesh. So we're gonna talk about what you really wanna talk about. And now the time you've all been waiting for, it's podcast time. A report that was put out by the Promise Keepers in the Baptist Press, I hit this in Q&A yesterday, but I'll revisit briefly. If the wife attends church regularly, but the husband does not, when the children grow up, they have a 2% chance of regularly attending church. When the husband attends church, whether or not the wife does, regularly, when the children get older as adults, they will have a two-thirds to three-fourths, 67 to 75% chance of regularly attending church. Let me say this, men. What's really sexy is a guy on Sunday morning who gets up, gets the kids dressed, makes sure everybody's got a Bible, puts them in the car, takes them to church, prays for them on the way, holds his wife's hand while he sings in surrender and submission to Jesus, opens the word of God and doesn't check the score of the game that is ongoing, and then takes a few notes and on the way home, asks the kids, what was your takeaway? What did God teach you today? What are you learning? And ask the wife, how can I pray for you? And how can I deepen our relationship? That ultimately it is the spiritual connection that is the deepest connection. And the great myth and lie is in our culture that you need compatibility. This is why we need to live and sleep together to see whether or not you should get married. This is the great grand myth and it's a demonic counterfeit to marriage. I'll never forget, I was in college, I was at a state university, we had a speech class and uh, I was a brand new Christian. There was a guy who was a more mature Christian, he'd been a Christian for a long time, good family, good home, good marriage. And he was engaged to be married though he was young and he was a virgin and his wife was a virgin, his wife-to-be. And he gave a speech about the benefits of chastity before marriage and fidelity in marriage to a class filled with frat guys. This did not go well. If, if you wanna see what this looks like, go find a cat and put a hose on it. You'll see exactly what this looks like. They did not respond well. And then one of the guys raised his hand and he said, so you're telling me you've never even kissed your fiance? He said, I've never kissed her. He said, well, how do you know if she's gonna be any good in bed? And I loved his answer, it was legendary. He said, how will I know if she's bad? It's like, this is the best woman I've ever been with. 
this is the greatest sex I've ever had. See, the problem is that we have coveting and we violate the commandments all the time and we covet someone else's spouse, we covet someone else's spouse's body, we covet someone else's spouse's sex life. God doesn't want us to have coveting, that's a counterfeit, he wants to have contentment, that's what God created. And what that means is that God didn't give you a standard of beauty, he gave you a spouse, okay? He gave you a spouse. There was Adam, there was Eve, there was nobody else. Adam was told, you're gonna name all the animals and then you're gonna meet your wife. Every animal, he's probably thinking, I hope that's not her. Right? Here comes the aardvark, oh please, Lord, no. No, no. Right, here comes the donkey, you're like, okay, oh, no, please no. Here comes the woman, amazing. That's the hottest woman I've ever seen. That's my wife. What this means, friends, is for you to stay connected at the level of the soul means that the soul becomes the first priority in the marriage relationship. That the body is important, but it is secondary. And that your wife is your standard of beauty or your husband is your standard of beauty, but ultimately what you're worried about is not just the body that they occupy, but the soul that occupies that body. And our goal and our hope and our prayer then is to cultivate the soul of our spouse so that their relationship with Jesus grows deeper and sweeter and the work of the Spirit in them is more evident and clear. I'll tell you what makes somebody really sexy, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'll tell you what our world is lacking, the fruit of the Spirit. Because everybody's pulling hell up and nobody's inviting heaven down. Connect at the level of the heart emotionally, the soul spiritually. My question is, how's your prayer life together? How's your Bible reading together? How's your worship together? How's your life in the soul together? Number three, one mind mentally. Love the Lord your God and your nearest neighbor, heart, soul, mind. This is your mental life. Now, what this means is the world that we live in, everything that we are taught is pretty much wrong, okay? When it comes to sex and marriage, everything we are taught from advertising to curriculum to modeling to cultural narratives to social media, it's all wrong. It's just wrong. And here's the truth, it doesn't work. It just does not work. And so ultimately, uh, Bradford Wilcox, he's the leading sociologist in America on marriage and families at the University of Virginia. He's done some of the largest data studies on successful and unsuccessful marriages. He himself is not a Protestant Christian, I believe he's Catholic, but he's come to the conclusion that Bible reading, church attending, prayer uttering, song singing, born again, Christian Protestant families have the best marriages, the greatest sex, the lowest divorce rates, and the lowest domestic violence rates, okay? Now they won't tell you this at the university because the university is where you get deceived, not educated. Okay, that Satan runs the curriculum at the university. He's counterfeiting everything that God created. The truth is, ultimately, if you will agree as one mind on what God says, and then the two of you together will come under the authority of what God says. I'm a man, she's a woman. We're to love one another, forgive one another, invite the Holy Spirit. We are to take responsibility for ourselves. We are to be servants and not selfish. We are to practice fidelity in marriage. We are to both parent and raise our children. We are to steward the resources that God has entrusted to our care. If you will take the basic principles of the Bible and the two of you will live under the authority of God's word, you will experience blessing because God does not bless people. He only blesses people who are under his word. 
This is why being of one mind is so important. Grace and I, when we have big decisions to make, we will not move until we agree. Some years ago, we had a decision. We were living in one state and trying to figure out, is it time to move, start a ministry somewhere else, move our kids, elementary, middle school, high school, college. It's a big move. We don't know what God has for us. I felt early on that God was calling us um, to Arizona. And Grace said she was not sensing that or feeling that. So we needed to come to one mind. It took me six months. I didn't bring it up. I didn't badger her. I didn't bring my case. I didn't argue the facts. I just prayed and I loved her and I just waited. Because ultimately we need to be one mind. We need to agree. There's power in unity and there is great devastation when there is division. Eventually God did very clearly speak to her completely separated from me. And he told her where we were to go. Now we're one mind because we have the mind of God. The only way to have one mind in marriage is to surrender to God's will for your marriage. God told us what to do, so we move together. I'm happy to report that all five of our kids love and serve Jesus. Nobody rebelled, nobody fell through the cracks. And we went through one of the most difficult seasons of our whole life. I won't get into the details, but it was quite frankly a season of warfare. And people ask, how did you do it? Well, we didn't do it, the Lord did it, but we needed to come to one mind so that we could be one and walk together and then the children could follow us as one. If we were divided, that division would have worked itself through our family and we would have not all made this transition. It would have been devastating. One mind. How's your time in God's word? How's your time praying together and asking God for his will and his word? And then what happens ultimately, love the Lord your God and your nearest neighbor, one heart emotionally. How's your emotional life, right? Heart, soul, spiritually. How's your spiritual life? And men, are you leading? Mind, mentally, are you studying, learning, growing, coming into the mind of Christ in agreement? And then the culmination and the result is to love one another with all of your strength, which is your physical life and your body. When it comes to your nearest and dearest neighbor, your spouse, what this means is the sexual relationship is the result of what? It is the result of the mental relationship, the spiritual relationship, the emotional relationship. Here's what I'm telling you. Problems in the bedroom are really problems outside of the bedroom that find their way into the bedroom. When you have one heart, soul, and mind, then you have a sex life that is one and you serve one another physically in pleasurable ways but it's the result. So if some of you are saying, our sex life is a problem, look at your other aspects of your relationship. Is it emotional? You're not connecting. Is it spiritual? You're not worshiping. Is it mental? You're not agreeing. And if you will fix those, then you will have physical sexual intimacy. And what God will do then, he will actually use the sexual act to cause the two of you to become one. This is where social science invariably, inevitably, eventually catches up with the Bible. Here's what I'm telling you, the Bible is true and eventually research catches up. That's what I'm telling you. And so if you will have one heart, soul, mind, then physically, if you will enjoy your marital relationship and intimacy, God will use that to literally bond you together physically as one. When it says in Genesis 2.24 that God wants us to be one flesh, God actually makes that happen 
through regular, enjoyable sexual activity between a husband and a wife. I'll give you two different examples. There's a guy named uh, William Struthers. He's a Christian biopsychologist. He did a lot of the data analysis. He wrote a book called Wired for Intimacy. And what he basically says is that the more we travel down a pleasure path, okay? Now, at the end of the path, there's pleasure. This can be drugs, this can be pornography, this can be married sex. Whatever is at the end of the pleasure path, the more that you venture down that pleasure path, the more it becomes a habituated condition. Think of it in this way. How many of you have driven home from work and you got home and you don't even remember making the drive? It was almost like you were on autopilot. You were just conditioned toward taking that path. What he's saying is that the same happens with neurons in the brain and the biopsychology of the human body that God hardwired. And what he ultimately has concluded is this, that when we have pleasure, we create a path toward that pleasure. This is why if you're into pornography, eventually you just venture down that path very quickly. If you're into adultery, you venture down that path very quickly. If you're into your spouse, then ultimately you're building a biological, physical, neural pathway that ultimately loving one another is something that God uses to build that point of connection between you and your spouse. This is why if you've been building other pathways, you need to stop building them and start building new pathways. In the same way, if you went for a walk in the woods, if you made the same path every day, it would be a well-worn groove. Well, if you wanna go a different direction, you need to walk a new path. Some of you need to stop looking at pornography and just start building a new neural pathway toward your spouse. Some of you need to stop just masturbating privately when your spouse isn't looking and build a new neural pathway toward your spouse. Some of you need to stop fantasizing about someone else and start making your spouse the object of your affection. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon anyone lustfully. Some of the problems that we have is we built neural pathways to pleasure that is not the one that God intends. So we need to get off of those old paths and we need to get onto the new paths and we need to start venturing in those directions. The result is what they will call a biochemical love potion. And they have determined that sexual activity, pleasure and orgasm, it affects the same part of the brain as heroin or cocaine. It's an opioid. Have you ever seen somebody on heroin? They're into it, amen? I mean, anybody who's into heroin is really into heroin. You know why? Because at the end of that path is pleasure. That pleasure path is something that God created and Satan counterfeited. That path was for the glory of God in marriage, and now it's used for drugs and demons. That Satan has hijacked the way that God has architected the human body. And this is how we get the addiction cycle rather than the worship cycle. If we will repent of our sexual sin and form new neural pathways and pleasure paths, Dr. Stephen Arterburn in New Life Ministry says, quote, sexual pleasure is one of the most intense human experiences. Physically speaking, when a man or woman reaches sexual excitement, nerve endings release a chemical into a brain called opioid. Opioid means opium-like and is a good description of the power of this chemical. Apart from, hear this, a heroin-induced experience, nothing is more physically pleasurable than sex. See, God put your marriage at the end of a pleasure path. And God wants you to pursue, it says in Genesis 2, a man will leave his father and mother, will cleave to his wife. That word there in the Hebrew means to actively pursue with great intensity. 
You look at somebody who is a drug addict and they are looking for a fix. If you, looking, if you, if you have a godly marriage, you're looking for your spouse. This great pleasure path that God intended and created, if it is safeguarded for marriage, it becomes the one thing that binds the two of you together as one. He goes on to say, uh, this is a wonderful thing in a committed marriage relationship because it helps to bond two people together and bring joy to living together and building a relationship. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Emotionally, if you'll connect with your wife's heart before her body. Soul, if you will bring the Holy Spirit and the kingdom and the presence of God into the relationship. Mind, if you will open the word of God and agree on the commands of God and pray to God to seek his will. And then strength or body, if you will physically enjoy one another and stop wandering down all of the counterfeited paths that the enemy would set before you and just walk that narrow path that God would have for you that goes only and exclusively to your spouse. What you will find is this, the best sex is married sex. The best sex is married sex. That Christians who are faithful and have sex regularly, they actually have the highest marital satisfaction scores according to Bradford Wilcox's research. The women have the highest number of orgasms. They have the, the highest marital satisfaction. They have the lowest rates of divorce and adultery. Here's what I'm telling you. God created something and Satan wants to counterfeit it. And it's called sex. And I'm telling you, if you will stop wandering down those counterfeit pathways and just walk the pathway that God intends for you, I'm telling you that not only is there pleasure at the end of that path, that pleasure only gets deeper and richer and stronger and sweeter for the child of God because it is not just two bodies colliding, but two hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. Here's your assignment. When you leave here, Look one another in the eye and just spend some time encouraging one another. Here's what I appreciate you. Stop and pray and then talk about what God has shown you and then have sex, okay? If you do not have sex tonight, Pastor John is going to bring you up for church discipline. Okay? 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 He is, he is. You're all gonna be on the stage Sunday there's gonna be a wooden spoon. You don't wanna be that guy. It's gonna be nasty, okay? Father God, I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. And God, we just live in a culture that is filled with counterfeits. Counterfeits to gender, counterfeits to sex, counterfeits to marriage, counterfeits to love, counterfeits to relationship. And Lord God, I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray for these dear people who have given me the honor of just sharing some things with them. Lord, I pray that they would be one with you and their spouse at the level of the heart emotionally. I pray that they would be one with you and their spouse at the level of the soul spiritually. I pray that they would be one with you and their spouse in their mind mentally. And God, I pray for these dear saints that they would have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control and that Lord Jesus, they would stop wandering down paths that are corrupt and crooked and counterfeit. And that they would, instead of pursuing the counterfeit, they would cleave, they would actively pursue their spouse. And God, I thank you that people who love Jesus and pray together and have been having sex for 50 years, they have more pleasure than anyone because they're connecting at all levels and not just the physical. 
And we pray against all the lies of this world that sex is just physical. It's not. That's why a lot of cults and demonic religions and counterfeits have sexuality as counterfeit worship. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask for these dear saints to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God as their spiritual act of worship. And that includes sex, Lord. Sex is one way in the covenant of marriage that we offer our body as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship and love to our spouse. God, I pray that right now they would forgive any hurts that they are carrying, that you would heal any wounds that they are experiencing that you would alleviate any fears that they are feeding. God, I pray that when they leave here, they would look one another in the eye and connect at the heart, that they would pray for one another and connect at the level of the soul, that they would discuss what they are learning and connect at the level of the mind. And I pray that tonight their sex would be new, it would be fresh, it would be anointed, it would be enjoyable, it would be pleasurable, and that they would either build old pathways by strengthening them or they would create new bonds to allow them to experience the fullness of joy that Jesus prayed for. And Lord, I pray, pray, pray for these dear saints. I pray for their lives and their legacies. I pray for their kids and their grandkids. And I pray, Lord God, that they would grow old and chubby and wrinkled together, and that they would be smiling and worshiping and praying and laughing. And I pray, Lord God, that the next day would be a better day until the last day, which would be the best day. And Lord Jesus, we just love you. Without you, we would be absolutely owned by this world. And thank you that you have delivered us from the evil one and you've delivered us into your joy. And so God, I pray for these dear saints and I thank you for this beautiful church. I thank you for the Lindell family that I love with my whole heart. And I thank you for the grace that you have given us to spend some time together. Lord, as the world is falling apart, let us draw together in Jesus' good name. Amen. Love you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Real Marriage Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a five-star review. We love to hear how this podcast encourages and helps you.